You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Been paying attention in youth, you know that we are in a series about the fruits of the Spirit, and it's called The Way of the Spirit versus The Way of the Flesh. I want to refresh our memories really quick, and let's read this together. It's Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Amen, amen. On week one. Pastor Jackson kicked us off with the topic of love versus selfishness. Last week, Pastor David Terry covered joy versus despair. And tonight, we're going to talk about the way of peace versus the way of anxiety. Ooh, (laughs) hard topic, I know, because anxiety is something that kind of seems like it's taking over the world that we live in. And I don't think that's by accident. Like if the enemy could use one weapon to defeat an entire population, he's not dumb, that's what he's gonna do. And he uses the weapon of worry and it creeps up in all of our lives. And so I wanna be clear about a few things about anxiety. First thing I wanna be clear about is that anxiety is not a sin. It is a feeling and it is not reliable because it's not the word of God so it's not true but it's not a sin. So I don't want anyone to sit in this room tonight and feel guilty or ashamed if you're struggling with anxiety. Because the truth is that every single one of us either has or is going through it right now or will go through a struggle with anxiety at some point in our lives. It's like a part of human nature. Now that doesn't mean we have to be okay with it, but it does mean we need to know how to combat it. And the second thing I wanna be clear about with anxiety tonight is that the anxiety we're talking about is not like a clinically diagnosed disorder. The anxiety we're talking about is not a chemical imbalance of your brain. And while I do believe that no matter who you are, no matter what's taking place in your physical body, that you can receive a transforming work from God tonight, I fully believe that. I wanna let you know, if you are someone in this room that would say, I face anxiety every single day and it's beyond the level of an average person, it consumes me, I wanna encourage you to talk to someone Go talk to someone about that and just ask God, like, what do you want me to do with this thing that's taking over my life? But like I said, the anxiety we're talking about tonight is universal. We all deal with it. So I'm going to define it really quick. Anxiety, defined by Google, says anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about something with an uncertain outcome. All right, we know what anxiety is. Now we're gonna learn about some peace. Before we do that, I'm gonna pray. So if you would, close your eyes, bow your heads. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for each and every student that's in this room tonight. Even the leaders that are in this room, Lord, I thank you for the souls that are in this room tonight. Lord, they're not just bodies filling chairs, but they're your children. And so, Lord, tonight, I want you to speak to them. I want to get out of the way, and I want you to speak to them. Lord, I pray if anyone in this room came to see Maddie Brown, that you would shift their gaze, and they would leave have seen you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would my words be guided by you tonight? I need you, and we love you, and we are really here to hear from you. 
and everybody says amen. Amen. All right. I can officially say that I'm actually excited to be up here, which if you would ask me this a week ago, last Wednesday, that would not have been the case because if I'm being honest, I was stressing out a little bit. I'd spent several hours, if not an entire day, researching everything there is to know about peace and about the fruits of the spirit and about um, anxiety. Like I was deep diving and I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to say to you guys tonight. And last Wednesday, about eight o'clock, I was sitting over there in that area and Pastor David was bringing the word and I just started to plead with God. I was like, God, Every single week, these students get a word, like, straight from heaven's gates. Like, I can tell that these people, they go to the mountain, they pray, and they have a Holy Spirit-driven word for these kids, and I want to do the same. So what am I supposed to say? And in that moment, as I was sitting there, he um, kind of, like, asked me to go look up the names of God on Google. Don't recommend getting on your phone. Sorry, Pastor David. I was on my phone during the message, but I did it, and I'm glad I did because I looked up the names of God, and what I found is that there's one fruit of the Spirit that's made its way into the names of God, and it's Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And in that moment, God spoke to me so clearly. He said, I am peace. He said, I don't just gift peace. I don't just want my people to walk in peace, but I am peace. Peace is a person. And that brought me to this idea tonight of something I'm calling the Trinity of Peace. I need you to know this is not like theological doctrine. Don't go home looking up where is the Trinity of Peace in the Bible. It's not there. It's just a picture that God gave me that's going to help us remember the way he wants us to walk in peace tonight. Sound good? Okay, the Trinity of Peace. So the Trinity is what we call the Godhead. It means that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word Trinity can also mean the state of being three. And so when it comes to peace and what that fruit means for us, I have this really cool picture that it's a complete story, a full package. It's the state of being three. It's a Trinity. And here's what it is. It says, God is peace. He created it. He is the being of it. Jesus is the prince of peace. He died for it. And the Holy Spirit is present peace. He makes it possible to walk in, someone say, the trinity of peace. There you go. Sounds good. All right, so we're going to break this down together. If you're taking notes, which you should be, your brain's not that good. You're not going to remember everything I have to say. So get out your notes and write down number one, God is peace. Okay, so as I briefly mentioned, Jehovah Shalom is one of the names of God, and it means that the Lord is peace. And all throughout the Bible, there are these names given to God, and they're meant to illustrate his character, his identity, and his purpose. And so if God is peace, then we can see tonight that the peace we're talking about is not a feeling, because God is not a feeling, he is a being. And generally when we think of peace, we think of like a peaceful situation, When I think of peace, my most peaceful situation would be that I'm like somewhere in the mountains and I'm on a cozy little cabin balcony in a rocking chair with a blanket. It's like a brisk 50 degrees outside and the world is not yet awake. I'm watching the sunrise. I got my morning cup of coffee. That is peace right there. But sadly, the world will awaken. A truck's gonna like drive by and ruin my peace. The sun's gonna rise. 
And if I centered my whole feeling of peace around a circumstance, then I've lost it in like 10 minutes. And so to know that true peace doesn't come from a feeling created by a circumstance is actually really, really, really good news because God is forever. He's the one thing in your life that's going to be eternally consistent, like forever and ever and ever. And his peace is the exact same way because he is peace. And so check this out. We're going to learn the origin story of Jehovah Shalom. So this name was given to God through the story of a man named Gideon. And Gideon was sent to the Israelites during a very bad time of famine and war. And although they got themselves into this situation through disobedience, they had like a deep terror in their hearts. And so they cry out to God, and God sends them Gideon. And God commissioned Gideon to save Israel. That's a big task. I wouldn't want it. And so as you can imagine, Gideon feels weak, and he feels frail, and he feels incapable. He's probably beating himself up like, I can't do this. And he's also questioning, is God still here? Like, has anyone felt that before? Is God still with me? I know that I have, so I can relate to Gideon in this story. But then he decided that he was going to stand on a word of promise. And he stood on the promise of the Lord that says, I will be with you. And so standing on the promise, Gideon asks God to send him a sign. Someone should have warned Gideon. Like, if you're going to ask God to send you a sign, he's going to do it. So get ready. So we ask God, and God sends him an angel, which would probably be terrifying. I've never seen an angel in real life, but I can't imagine. So he sends him an angel, and the angel speaks to Gideon, and he says, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You could translate that to God is with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And he was immediately filled with courage and confidence in the truest form of peace. Like he just had an encounter with God that is the truest form of peace. And so he built an altar to the Lord and he called it Jehovah, Shalom. That word Shalom, it means harmony, wholeness, completeness, peace. And so clearly we can see that Gideon's situation was anything but peaceful. Like he's in the middle of a war. That's horrible. That is not peaceful. And yet this was the time that established peace in his heart. And why was that? It's because it's not a feeling based on circumstance. It's because peace is God. And if we look back at that definition of anxiety, it's based on an uncertainty of an outcome. And what I love about this story is that God gives him reassurance before the outcome. Like it shows us that we can have peace, we can have God before the outcome is revealed. And I'm just so thankful that God doesn't like disappear when, circumstance get, when circumstances get rough. Like he doesn't leave. He says, I'm here in it with you. And so tonight we need to establish in our hearts that the peace of God, that true peace, cannot be taken away. Because God cannot be taken away. That's what spurred Gideon on to courage, to save the Israelites, because God cannot be taken away. But unfortunately, because of sin, he is disconnected. Like, unfortunately, because of sin, God is distant. And so that's why the story doesn't end here. This cannot be a complete trinity with just God, because there was a disconnect. And so we need Jesus. So God is peace. He created it. He is the being of it. And he had to send someone to pay for it. That's number two, the prince of peace, Jesus. He was crucified for us. He was crucified for our sins, for our healing, and for our peace, which means our connection 
to God. He paid for your peace. So to look at this, we got to go all the way back to the beginning of time. And we got to look at Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. I know most of us know this story, but don't check out. So at this time, there was the Garden of Eden, right? And it was perfect peace because God was there. There was no disconnect between the people, Adam and Eve, and God. Like, these guys were running around naked and they didn't even care. That is peace, okay? They've got it. They've got peace. They've got the Father right there with them. There's no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no troubles. There's no sin. It's perfect peace. And it's hard to imagine because we've never lived in this. Like, we've never lived in a world that wasn't covered in sin and chaos and human nature. But they had it. And yet they still fell. They still believed in Satan over God, and they ate the wrong fruit. They broke the connection with God. And since God always had intended for his creation to be living in harmony with him, shalom, peace, harmony, he had to redeem the fruit. And so the being of perfect peace sacrifices his son, the prince of peace, and he gives us Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That word chastisement means to punish severely. He was severely punished for peace, for harmony with the father, for you to have that. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I hear that Jesus was punished so that I could be connected to God, it brings me this deep realization that the one I love did not die so that I could live a life engulfed in worry. Like today, at midweek prayer, if you were there, if you watched online, we took communion and we counted to 39 for the 39 lashes that Jesus took so that we could be connected to the Father. And I think every single person in this room just stood there and like bawled their eyes out. Like, Pastor Jackson had to remove himself from the drum cage, okay? He was sobbing. I was sobbing. We're all crying. And it's because you get this deep realization that, like, someone had to pay for this, and it wasn't me. I'm so grateful for that. But human nature is still on earth. I still deal with it, as do all of us. And sometimes when I want something so badly... I forget that I have like an immediate connection to God and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this on my own. I'm gonna do this. I am competitive. I'm gonna beat everyone to it. Like I'm gonna get this peace. But that's called striving. And that is what we don't want to do. We don't wanna strive for peace in our own will. It's natural, but it's the way of the flesh. It's not the way of the spirit. So when we strive for something that has already been paid for, it means that we are still holding on to control of it. So I kind of was thinking of this story in my head, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a play-by-play. So say that someone calls me. It's like a number that I don't really know. And I answer the phone, and they're like, is this Maddie Brown? I'm like, yeah, it's Maddie Brown. What's up? And they say, I have $700 million waiting for you at the bank right now. Briefcase full, got your name on it. All you gotta do is come sign the papers. Like you don't have to work for this. You don't have to earn it. All you gotta do is come access it. All you gotta do is come sign it. And I'm like, sweet. And so I start going through this process in my head, this thought process, and I'm like, okay. So I know there's this $700 million 
but something could go wrong. Like it could actually have the wrong Maddie Brown. I'm sure there's more than one Maddie Brown in the world, believe it or not. And something could go wrong. It could not really be my name. Like what if I pull out my driver's license and I'm like, here you go, it's me. And they're like, oh, it's actually not you. And so I'm thinking in my head, like what if I um, had to work for it? Or what if they were like, you can get it, but you have to pay half. And I start going through these situations. I start expressing anxiety because I'm nervous about the outcome because I don't know what's going to happen on the other side. So instead of stepping out in faith and going to get my 700 mil, I tell the man, I'm like, all right, I'll be there in 12 hours because I'm going to go work a 12-hour shift at McDonald's, right? No, no one would do that. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I have a secured $200. I know it's mine. I do this every week. This is the way I live. And so I can go get this $200. I'm going to have to work for it. And it's way less better. Is that a word? Less better? I don't know. It's not as good as $700 million. But I know that I've done it before. And I trust it. So I'm going to do it. No one would do that. But that's what we do. We try to control the outcome of something that's already been paid for. And let me tell you, with Jesus, that's not smart. Because he already, the outcome has already been controlled. Like, you can't change what he did. And so you need to know tonight that you could live every single day of your life in reverence to the Lord. You could wake up every single morning and get on your knees and say, Lord, I want this day to be lived for you. You could be a missionary. You could give every pretty penny that you make to the kingdom of God. Or you could never acknowledge the fact that Jesus died for you. You could act like he doesn't exist. But the fact that the price was still paid doesn't change. The outcome has already been controlled. You can't earn peace. But just like me going to the bank to get my money, you can access it. But no amount of striving is going to make you more worthy of Jesus. Like we are not worthy of Jesus. And it sounds harsh, but that is a beautiful thing. Because he's abounding in grace and he grants us himself anyway. Like I don't have to earn it. I just have to access it. And in the same letter that Paul teaches about the fruits of the Spirit, he warns us against striving. And he says in chapter 3, verse 3 of Galatians, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's what he would say about my money story. Like, are you so foolish? You were begun by the Spirit. You were given this gift by the Spirit, and now you're going to be perfected by the flesh? And then he goes on in chapter 6, and he mentions it again. And he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. When we strive for peace, we reap corruption. But when we strive, or when we don't strive, when we abide by the Spirit, we reap eternal life. And to be producing fruit is to be literally living out the crucifixion of Jesus. Like, I want to reap eternal life. And I know you guys do, too. I want it to be said of me that Maddie Brown lived out the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I don't want to wait until heaven to live in harmony with God because I know that it's possible here. I want to be a picture of the prayer on earth as it is in heaven. So if we have striving, which is what we're not supposed to do, then the opposite of that would be abiding. We know that God is peace. He gave us Jesus 
to pay for this peace, but how does this become alive and real to me? The Trinity, the fullness of peace and harmony with God becomes complete with this. Number three, the spirit of present peace. When Jesus was about to go to the cross to die for us, he comes to this moment with his disciples. And we have to remember, these are the people that have known the comfort of physically being with Jesus. Like every single day, they were physically with Jesus. So you can imagine that they were anxious about what's about to take place because their savior and their friend is about to finish the work of his life on the cross. He's about to die the most gruesome death. And he, they know that he's about to do it for them, which is undeniably a good thing. But the uncertainty of what lies beyond his death is troubling to them. And it's producing worry. And so he looks at them and he promises them something. And as we read this tonight, I want you to imagine that you sitting in that chair as a disciple of Jesus, that he's saying this to you. I want you to imagine as we read these words that he is physically in front of you and that he is speaking these words to you. Here's what it says. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the earth will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled nor afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. When Jesus said, peace I leave with you, he's taking a customary and cultural saying where they would say like, instead of saying goodbye, they would say like shalom or like peace I leave with you. And he's giving it deep meaning. Even Jesus's goodbye was meant to spur us on to live a devoted life to him. And Jesus had no inheritance to leave his disciples or his followers. Like he didn't have a will. Um, but he gave him two things that are greater than any will ever. He gave him the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the peace of Jesus himself. This is the peace of God the Son with his complete trusting love in God the Father. When Jesus says, peace I leave with you, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He had to go back home to heaven. Jesus had to leave. And I'm glad that he did because if Jesus wouldn't have left, then it would be so hard to get to him. Like you would have to go physically be in his presence, travel the entire world. So he had to leave and he had to go reign at the right hand of God, but he doesn't depart without promise in the hands of his people. And he completes the trinity of peace by giving us a clear way to connect to the creator by the crucified. Shalom, harmony. We get to live in harmony with the Father, by the Son, through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so important to me. Like, I don't know how people believe in Jesus without believing in his Spirit. Because it's what makes him so real and tangible. Like, when we're up here in worship, and you're pouring your heart out, and you can feel like Jesus is on the other side of your singing, it's because his Spirit is here. It's because his presence is here. Like, I remember so many nights 
when I moved out of my parents' house and I had to go live in my own apartment. It's kind of scary. <laughs> and I remember being like, I do not feel peace right now. I feel like someone's going to bust through that window and come get me. Wasn't the case, but I just remember the Holy Spirit like comforting me. Even though that train of thought is a little crazy, he didn't care. He was like, no, I'm Jesus in real time. I'm right here to give you peace. I'm right here to give you a way to connect to the Father. And I say that to say that the Holy Spirit is not a side piece of the Trinity. He's not like an extra thing that you can leave out sometimes, you can add in sometimes when it sounds good. Like, no, the Holy Spirit is necessary. The Holy Spirit is going to call you out. He's going to call you up. He's going to convict you of your sins. He's going to point you back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is necessary. And what's so cool, and it goes back to the point on striving, is that he's given to us on the merit of Jesus. Like again, I don't have to earn him. I just have to access him. I just have to call on him. I just have to say, peace, come be with me. Holy Spirit, come and be with me. We get to receive him through the work of the cross. So we know that the trinity of peace, we know um, what it is. We know this information now. And in order to know what to do with it, I want to look back at Paul. He's the writer of Galatians. Quick shout out to my boy Paul. If you have not studied the life of Paul, you need to do that. When you get home, you need to open up your Bible and you need to go read about some Paul because he is crazy. Like, Paul is crazy. He's going to stir your faith. He's going to make you want to be a better person. He's also going to make you feel good about yourself because once he was Saul. So there's a chance for all of us. You need to go read about Paul. Side note. Anyway, Paul lived a crazy, crazy, crazy life. And he gives us a summary of some of the things that he went through in his life. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We could stop there. Paul was stoned and he survived. When I read that for the first time, I was like, wait, did Paul just die? No, he came back. He was stoned and he survived. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul had a rough life. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, then you would know two things. The first thing you would know is that he was so passionate about destroying anything that would get in the way between him and God. He protected his relationship with God at all costs. And the second thing you would know, and based on what we just read, is that his life was anything but peaceful. Like, this man was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Like, not peaceful whatsoever. His life was constantly surrounded by chaos all the time, 24-7. And what's so interesting about this to me is that Paul is the one who introduces us to the fruits of the Spirit. And in another part of the Bible, Paul actually says that he is such a good imitator of Christ that we should imitate him. 
Like talk about practicing the way. Paul's like, I got this. I'm practicing the way you do what I do. And so if I do what he does, then I know that he wasn't just throwing out these fruits of the spirit for fun. Like I know his life was full of peace. And if I can confidently say that the man we just read about lived a peaceful life, I want to know, how did he get that? And the way that he got it is that he protected his peace. New song students, if we want to live in the peace of God, if we want to live in harmony with the Father, constantly connected to him, we have to get really serious about protecting our peace. Like really, really serious. I want you to write that down in your notes. Protect your peace. Circle it, highlight it, make it bold letters, do what you do. Make it known to your notes. Protect your peace. In the way that the Lord is so jealous for me, in the way that the Lord is jealous for my heart that he came to earth, like he had perfect peace. He was with the Father all the time. In the way that he's jealous for me that he came down and he said, no, there's a disconnect here and I want them to be connected. Like I want that peace to be accessible to them. And that he died on the cross I got to get jealous for him. I got to decide that there is nothing more important than God. Like there is nothing in my life that could take the place of this connection. And there is nothing that I want more than this. When we sing that song, like I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. You're my one thing. Like you got to believe it in the depths of your soul. You got to believe it because we got to protect our peace. Paul is waking up the church to the fact that the son of God who gave his life for yours, is not looking for perfection. But what he is looking for is for people who are willing to crucify their flesh, who are willing to crucify their flesh to follow Jesus, for people who are going to be serious about walking in the way of peace. The heart of Paul's gospel is this, is that when people trust in Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them, that his life, his death, and his resurrection become ours. And there's a clear connection here between the fruit that Paul produced in his own life and the way that he protected his peace. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's not I who have come back to life, but Christ who has come alive in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave his life for mine. And this takes place in the same letter that the fruits of the Spirit are in. So there's a clear connection here between producing fruit and protecting your relationship with the Lord. To be protecting this sacred union with our Father means that we are going to have to crucify the flesh. So if we look back at the foundational verse of this series, we read it at the beginning of this message. I think we've read it the past three weeks. It lists all the things that we are to be. And then it ends with these words. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Notice that Paul writing this to the Galatians doesn't say, those who belong to Jesus have learned how to control their flesh. It doesn't say those who belong to Jesus got really good at keeping a close watch on their flesh. It says that those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh. He says to crucify it. David Guzik, in a commentary on this verse, he says, 
The problem with our flesh, the problem of our flesh will not be finally dealt with until we are resurrected. Until then, we are to constantly nail it to the cross so that it hangs there, alive yet powerless over us. To resist the flesh is to nail it to the cross. Although the flesh is still alive, it cannot very well act upon its desires because it is bound and nailed to the cross. I think when we talk about anxiety, we often forget that this is a desire of the flesh because it doesn't seem very desirable. Like no one is going, oh, I desire anxiety so much. I love it. No one's saying that. And so we forget that it's a desire of the flesh. But I want to bring us back to what Pastor Jackson said in week one of the series. He says, if you're not walking in the way of the spirit, then you're walking in the way of the flesh. And let me tell you, Anxiety is not the way of the spirit. Therefore, it is the way of the flesh. If I look back at times in my life that were like clearly marked by anxiety, I can always see a correlation between my relationship with the Lord and the level of my peace. There was always like a disconnect between me and God in those seasons where I wrestled with worry and anxiousness. And sometimes it was really small and it was hard to see. And sometimes it was really big and I'm pretty sure everyone in this room could see it. But there's also times in my life where I've looked back and I've been like, how the heck did I get through that? I've been like, how? That is crazy. Like I survived that. How did I get through that? And it's because just like Paul I noticed that my peace wasn't coming from anything but God. It wasn't coming from my circumstances. It was coming from the Lord himself. And when I look at peace like that, and when I receive peace like that, I get this reassurance that like if the entire world fell apart, if everything in my life crumbled, if tomorrow I woke up and I didn't have a house to live in, I didn't have food on my table, I would still have Jesus. And I would be okay that has to be how Paul is thinking because the man is shipwrecked and he's like, I still have Jesus. Like, I'm okay. I still have God. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm connected to the Father. Like, I am okay. And that is the peace of God. That is the peace that we're after. I want to encourage you guys that peace and pressure can go together. That peace is not the absence of pressure. And if you don't know that, and if you don't keep that in your mind, then you're probably going to be really hard on yourself when you're feeling pressure because you're not going to be feeling peace. If the goal is for you to feel no pressure, then you will always be lacking peace. If the goal is for you to be in connection with God, then just like Paul, pressure will push you towards peace. Like those hard times in your life, when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. If your goal is to connect with God, then that hard time is going to become a testimony. And that hard time is going to push you towards him. It's going to push you towards connection with him. And you're going to make it out on the other side and say, isn't God good? I had the peace of my father. I didn't want to leave tonight without giving you guys some practical points. Anybody love practical points? I love some practical points. Like, you just preached a message. Tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give us some scriptures. And these are just some ideas that have been personal to me in my life and that have helped me walk in um, union with the Lord and have helped me walk in peace. And I don't know the answer for you exactly tonight. 
but I know someone who does, and it's God. It's the Holy Spirit. So as we think upon these things, and as I say them, I want you to write them down, and I want you to go back either in small group or maybe during prayer or maybe later this week or later tonight, and I want you to really sit with this, and I want you to ask God, like, what is this for me? And I want you to just be quiet and just listen to the Holy Spirit and see what he has to say because he's going to reveal something to you because he wants to be with you. Are you guys ready for the points? In order to protect my peace and my harmony with the Lord. Amen, your binder's sticky. (laughs) I need to protect my time. (laughs) Protect my time. Write it down. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. It says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Are you spending time with God? Every single day, the day is evil. It's trying to rob you of peace. It's trying to rob you of all the things we talk about here at New Song Students. So are you spending time with God? Are you getting in his word? Are you worshiping him? Are you talking with him? Are you listening to him every single day? And I'm not talking about like a two-minute, Lord, I love you, prayer in the morning. It's a good start, but that is not going to last you the next 24 hours. Like you need to be constantly reconnecting with God. You need to be using your time to connect with the Lord. You need to protect your time. The Lord is jealous for your time because he knows that the more time you spend apart from him, the further your heart is getting from him. That's why he says the days are evil. Got to protect your time. Next one, protect my eyes, my ears, and my heart. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Proverbs 4, 20 and 23, it says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your hearts, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Vigilance means to keep a careful watch, to keep a careful guard on your eyes and your, hear, and your ears and your heart because from it flows the spring of life. And so what this practically looks like is like, do you have limits on your phone or on your tablet or your TV? Do you select carefully the books that you read? I know that reading is like a big thing right now. My TikTok is recommending all these books and I go look them up and I'm like, uh-uh. I can't read that. Like, I don't care who's reading that. I can't read that. I got to protect my eyes and my ears and my heart. I don't want to be filled with darkness. I want life to flow out of me. Are you careful about what you look at on social media? Like, do you follow an account just because it's super cool and because everyone does it? Or do you choose, like, this is the media that I'm going to consume because I am serious about protecting my peace? And on the flip side, it's not just like refraining from bad stuff. Like, are you filling yourself up with the good stuff too? Protecting your eyes means that like, I'm going to look at things that are honorable. And protecting my ears, I'm going to listen to worship music more than just on Wednesday nights. Like, I want to protect what is inside of me. He also says that from his words flow life. Do you know his words? 
How are you going to flow life from his words if you don't even know what they say? we got to protect our eyes and our ears and our heart. And the last one is that I've got to protect my thoughts. In Philippians, Paul says this about peace. Same guy writing about it. Philippians 4, 6 to 9, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. This is Paul telling us this. What we've heard and seen in him, we are to practice those things. And I can imagine that Paul was really good at meditating on God's word. I can imagine he was really good at like meditating on thoughts that were honorable and pure because if I was shipwrecked, I'm going to go worst case scenario right off the bat and I'm going to start thinking about things that are not pure and that are not lovely and that are not honorable and I would say that this point right here, protecting my thoughts is the hardest one for me. I'm a big overthinker and I do it all the time on a daily basis, like I'm still working on this. And I learned something really cool recently, and it was that you have two parts of your brain that your thoughts are kind of like processed through. And one part of your brain realizes things, and then the other part of your brain thinks about things. It meditates on things. And so we don't get to choose what we realize. Like Paul gives us a whole list of things that he realized. He realizes that he was adrift at sea. He realizes that he was in danger. He realizes that his life was chaotic, but that doesn't mean he thought about it. That doesn't mean that he meditated on it. It says that he's gonna meditate on whatever is commendable, on things that are excellent, on things that are pleasing to the heart of God. He chooses to think about Jesus and he says, do what I did, practice what I did, To protect our peace, we've got to practice what Paul did. We've got to meditate on things that please the heart of God. It's like the thoughts that you're going to grab with a closed fist and you're going to hold on tight. Make sure that those are good thoughts that line up with the truth. Don't hold on to the thoughts of your flesh. Let them go. Hold on to the thoughts of God. Could it be that this state of growing peace in our lives is never represented by one specific feeling? but rather a lifetime of living in harmony with the Lord. I think if we lived our lives in search of ways to be connected with God, rather than in search of a serene feeling that we would get to the end and we would say, my life was filled with peace because I was daily unified with my Father. Because every day I was connected with Him. Like I said, I don't have the specific answer for every single person in this room tonight of like exactly what you need to do in order to get this peace, but the Holy Spirit does, and he wants to reveal that to you. And as I'm thinking of this right now, I'm thinking of an equip class we had last night, and Pastor David taught a class on habits, and he did this really cool kind of thinking thing where he said, I am not blank, but I want to be blank, so I will do blank. 
And I think that's a really good tool for us to use even right here and now. Like, I am not protecting my time, but I want to be protecting my time. So I will set apart time in my day for God. Or so I will, whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to you in this moment. And the last thing I'm going to read tonight is about the letter where Paul is giving us the fruits of the Spirit. It says that the letter lends itself to a searching examination of ourselves. We often think that our problems and difficulties are all outside of ourselves. We think that we would be fine if everyone just treated us right and if circumstances just got better, but that ignores the meaning of this chapter. The problems are in us and they need to be dealt with by the Spirit of God who is in us. With that kind of reality check, we can see a new world and a new life. And it's not that one person or one circumstance has to change. It's that I have to yield to the Spirit of God. To walk in the Spirit, you're going to have to yield to the Spirit of God. So we're going to take some time to examine our hearts tonight as we go into altar ministry. But before we do that, I just want to say like if you're a person in this room tonight and you're listening to this message and you're thinking these things are impossible to me because I've never invited God to live in me and I want to say that yeah you're right like it is impossible if you haven't made the decision to make him the Lord of your life it is impossible to walk in the peace that he has for you and I don't say that as discouragement but I say that to encourage you like tonight you can decide Tonight you can say like, I wanna be unified with the Lord every day. I don't wanna spend one more moment without him. And so I wanna give just a moment for that with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you would say that.